1: Hey everyone, my name is Scott and I'm one of the pastors here at Blue Oaks. We've spent the last two weeks in a series called Undivided with the hope that while living in a divided nation, divided neighborhoods, divided families and relationships, that we could find our way back and become undivided. It's a challenging task, but a worthwhile one. We find ourselves in a moment of history where the divisions in society are growing farther apart by the day, it seems. Some of you are thinking, a moment of history? That's been my marriage for the last 10 years, or that's the history of my family since I can remember. Constant division and strife. It's certainly been our nation. President-elect Biden said last Friday, we may be opponents, but we are not enemies. We are Americans. His appeal in a moment of political division in our nation is to a unity of citizenship. I love what Matt said last week, that there's a unity that runs deeper than division. It's a citizenship, but not an earthly one. And it runs deeper than that. Think about this for a moment. What's most important at the end of life? What would you wish to pass on to those closest to you, to your children or your family? What would you hope they carry on with? It's interesting that priorities often become crystal clear when facing our mortality, facing the end of life. And we often begin communicating what's most important to us as we are facing the end of life. One of those closest to Jesus, a man named John, records the last meal Jesus has with his disciples, the 12 who had followed him for over three years, and it was the night before his crucifixion. The meal begins with Jesus washing their feet, and if that wouldn't be awkward enough for you, he then starts talking about being betrayed by one of them at the table. Everyone begins looking around asking, is it me, is it you? Judas, the one who would betray him, would in a few minutes leave to gather those who would arrest and ultimately crucify Jesus. There's a tension at the table, an uneasiness in the air. Jesus is saying he's leaving and they can't follow. Peter, another one of the 12, in a moment of bravado declares, I'll never leave you. i die for you first. To which Jesus responds, Peter, you'll deny knowing me three times before the sun comes up but then Jesus comforts them, that he's preparing a place for them. He promises God will send an advocate, the Holy Spirit to be with them, to help them. It's really an intimate setting we're given a glimpse into, but it's not a dinner party. It's not a dinner of clarity for those at the table, except for Jesus. The final thing Jesus does with them is pray. He prays saying his hour has come. He knows he's headed to his death. And it's the focus of his prayer I want us to look at. First, he prays for those at the table with him. Holy Father, protect them by the power of the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. He prays, Father, protect their unity. Then he prays for those who will believe because of these 12 and the movement that would birth from them, the ecclesia, the gathering of Christ followers that would become known as the church. Jesus prays, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, he prays, produce their unity. Jesus, knowing the end of his time on earth is near, prays for his followers. Interesting that he didn't pray for their success or their safety or their prosperity. He prays for unity. And as he prays for them, he also prays for those who would believe because of their message. That's us. In his last prayer with the disciples before his crucifixion, Jesus prays that we would be one. One. The word means to be united most closely with. He was praying for a unity of love, a unity of fellowship, a unity of purpose modeled after the unity of the Godhead. Our unity with one another is to be just as the Father and the Son are one. It's a spiritual, mystical unity, a unity that goes deeper than shared theological or ideological beliefs, deeper than citizenship of a nation. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit share many things together at a level that is profoundly intimate. Our union with one another is to be like theirs with each other. Heard over and over again in these verses, is the heart of God for his people to live as one in unity. One of my favorite sounds is an orchestra prior to a performance. When you listen as the instruments warm up, it's total discord. Everyone is doing their own thing. I don't know why I like it. I just think it's one of the coolest sounds to listen to. Maybe it's because of the excitement of knowing what's coming next but then the conductor comes out and he taps his baton on the music stand, calling all the various instrumentalists to attention and they set their focus on him looking in his direction. All of a sudden these independent disjointed instruments become harmonized and you get a unified piece of music played by a variety of distinct instruments, all following the conductor with the same goal and purpose a unified sound making one beautiful song. In that last dinner with the disciples before his death, Jesus prays for them and for us that we would be one just as he is with God, that the world would know that God sent him and he loves us even as a father loves his own son. Jesus knew the world would be watching how we, the church, get along with each other and they're making decisions about God from what they see and hear. Who would want to join a family that constantly fights and belittles each other? Who wouldn't be drawn to a family that loves unconditionally and supports sincerely even in the midst of disagreements and differences? Jesus is praying for a unity that opens the door for belief. How will the world believe that Jesus was sent by God? Not if we're unanimous on each vote, not if we always agree with each other, not if we solve every controversy, to my satisfaction, of course, but when we're united together in the midst of all of it, when we're united together in spite of it. I think Jesus knew this would be a constant challenge for the church, a constant individual struggle, and thus his prayer for them and for us. And this message, this theme, this imperative is carried on throughout the birth of the church. In just a moment, we'll look at three instances the church was reminded of this call to unity and how to achieve it. Jesus once said, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Division isn't simply something that separates, it brings ruin. Division destroys relationships, homes, churches, communities, even nations. This isn't a political issue of our day, it's a human nature issue. Unity and division are about people more than policies and postures. The problem is when we begin to other one another. We dehumanize each other when we look through a lens of differing views and opinions, and it brings ruin. Unity is closing the spaces between us by seeing the other through the eyes of God, the lens of someone created in the image of God. This is why the Apostle Paul, maybe the most influential leader in the early church after Jesus, makes so many appeals for unity in his writings. Paul is like, listen everybody, this is important. This is so important. This unity thing is real and we've got to get it right. So let's look at a couple of examples of what Paul wrote in letters to three different churches he started. To the church in Galatia, he wrote, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. And let's just add in left or right, blue or red, this supporter or that supporter. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's a comprehensive list. There are ethnic differences, religious differences, socioeconomic differences, gender differences, and I added in the ideological differences. That pretty much covers it. Everything falls into one of these categories. This was revolutionary to those reading the letter because it wiped out the classes that society places people in. In Jewish traditions of Paul's day, there was a common benediction in, when a, in which a Jewish male would give thanks to God that he was not made a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. There is evidence of comparable distinctions in Greek culture where gratitude was expressed for being made a human rather than a beast, a man rather than a woman, and a Greek rather than a barbarian. Paul is saying these distinctions are no longer the lens we look through at each other in Christ. We are now one in Christ. It's the same word Jesus used in his prayer, to be united most closely with. And the beauty, the power, is that Paul didn't say we're all uniform, but we are united. Listen, unity doesn't mean uniformity. Think about it for a second. How dull would that be if we all thought and spoke and looked and acted the same way? More than dull, that would be a little eerie and weird. But there can be a subtle undertone at times within the church or society that goes something like this. Now that you're one of us, here's what needs to change. Everything about you to be like us. The beauty of the ecclesia, the gathering of Christ followers, is that we become one, although we are many different, varied, unique members of the same family. The differences between us are not removed or erased. I'm still a male, and Michaela, who does an amazing job each week of leading us in worship, is still a female. Tina, who prayed that beautiful prayer to start us today. Tina and I have not had our ethnicities erased, but we are united in Christ. Our differences are not removed, but brought together in this beautiful orchestra called the church. We're united in Christ despite our differences. In fact, the gospel drives us to celebrate and embrace our differences. Consider this for a moment. Could it be that God intended for the church to have differences of ethnicity and gender and thought an opinion in order to have a stronger church? There's a vast difference between uniformity where everybody is exactly alike and unity, a oneness of heart and spirit. What Paul is doing is drawing attention away from what often divides us and towards the one factor that binds us together in our differences. It's Christ. In another letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul speaks of unity again. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Paul says, when it comes to our unity, when it comes to our oneness, Make every effort, do every single thing possible you can do to preserve unity, to protect unity, to promote unity. Be humble, be gentle, be patient with each other. Notice what he doesn't say. Do everything possible to make unity. You see, Christ made unity a reality through his act of atonement on the cross, his death and his resurrection. We're told to preserve it, protect it, and promote it. And Paul gives us something to work with. We do this by being humble. You don't make everything about you. I think one of the greatest traits of humility that we've lost is the ability to listen, to genuinely listen to someone outside of your circle of agreement, your algorithm of commonality. We surround ourselves with the safety of similarity, and the byproduct is an inability or unwillingness to listen. We're too quick to speak our opinions. But listening shows a desire to understand first, rather than simply respond to get my point across. Paul says be humble, preserve unity. We're also to be gentle. Gentleness is not being overly impressed by a sense of your own self-importance. Writer and speaker Anne Lamont said, if you wanna change the way you feel about people, you need to change the way you treat them. Gentleness is the opposite of outrage. In an outrage culture, gentleness has the potential to break the cycles of division and the power to heal and transform through a posture not of offense, but kindness and love. We're to be gentle in the ways we interact, in the ways that we speak, in the ways that we engage with others. Not standing on opposite sides of barriers or keyboards screaming at each other. Paul says, be gentle, protect unity. Lastly, he says, we're to patiently bear with one another which means that we will endure seasons of disagreements together because we have a long fuse. We're in it for the long haul. We don't quit on one another. We don't participate in a cancel culture. We do the hard work of sticking it out. We don't just show up when it's easy and comfortable and convenient and agreeable, but we walk together when it's hard. We walk together when it's inconvenient, when it's messy, when it hurts, when it costs, when we might find ourselves on opposite sides, which means there's a loving grace that we have for one another. I'm going to show it to you because God knows I'm going to need it from you. Paul says be patient with each other. Promote unity. The last example we'll look at is in Paul's letter to the Philippians. He writes, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Paul says, whatever happens, what happens? Life happens. Pandemics happen. Elections happen. Holidays happen. Disagreements happen. Conflict happens. Stuff happens. What matters in the happens is our conduct. And I'm just going to tell you, this is a loaded word. The Greek word for conduct is polituma. It's the word we get politics from. It means citizenship, your conduct as a citizen. A citizen of? The kingdom of God. As a citizen in God's kingdom, we live, act, speak, and respond in a manner worthy of the message of Christ. Whatever happens, Paul says, let your conduct, your politics, your citizenship be worthy of Christ. And worthy is a loaded word also. It's the Greek word axios or the English axis, a point on which something centers, a main line of direction. When we're united in Christ, he becomes our axis. And as such, our actions are to be reflective of his character and his message. What was his character? He humbled himself. He came to serve. He offered unconditional love. He valued the person over a position. What was his message? The kingdom of God. The reconciliation of humanity broken by sin with the perfect loving creator. And in this mindset, we work together as one. And he doesn't let up. Paul continues on, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit and of one mind. I love this. Paul says, You want to make my day? You want to make me feel like a proud dad? You want my joy to be complete? You want me to nauseate others with how much I brag about you? Then be like-minded. Have the same love. Be one in spirit and mind. Preserve unity. Protect unity. Promote unity. Now. These are just a few of the things that Jesus and others in scriptures have said about our unity. Ultimately, unity is about looking beyond what divides us and looking to the one who made peace with God and each other possible, Jesus. You see, what unites us is greater than what divides us. Let me say that again. What unites us is greater than what divides us. And Jesus, at that last meal with his disciples, prays for his church, the gathering of his followers, because he knew this would be a struggle for us, that it would be so easy to choose sides and draw lines and build walls, even within the church. And he prays that we would remain as one in him, just as he is one with God. So let me ask you this. What would it look like for each of us individually to lead the way in our relationships, our homes, our neighborhoods, our communities towards unity? Imagine in a nation longing for unity, the church leading the way by example. Imagine the influence we could bring and the impact against the division we see and are experiencing today. What would it look like for you to preserve, protect, and promote unity? I want to close with a prayer written by Sarah Bauer Anderson. It's a prayer of unity, that the distance that separates us would come together. And I want to point out the end of the prayer before we get there. It closes with the word, amen. Amen means So be it. In essence, we're saying, I'm in, God. I want this to be true as much as you do. Let's pray. For family near and peaceable, Lord, we give thanks. For family far and conflicted, Lord, we give thanks. For the ones easy to love, Lord, we give thanks for the ones we fight to love, Lord, we give thanks. For people who see as we see, Lord, we give thanks. For people we don't understand, Lord, we give thanks. For people who don't understand us, Lord, we give thanks. For easy conversation and expressed affection, Lord, we give thanks. For gentle discord within our discourse, Lord, we give thanks. For unity, not sameness, Lord, we give thanks. For charity in all things, Lord, we give thanks. For a world that reflects your goodness, Lord, we give thanks. For humankind that bears your image, Lord, we give thanks. For a day when we'll delight in our differences and not just tolerate them, Lord, we give thanks for a gathering of every tribe and every tongue for a table and a feast today anticipating the one we'll enjoy with you someday. Lord, we give thanks. Amen.
0: Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 845, 10, and 1115. Uh, For directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, And We hope to see you on Sunday soon.